Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, you, me, I, I can almost go home with that, right? My goodness. And I know what some of you are thinking. Let's just go on home with that, Trent. A uh, somewhat of a continuation. Uh, my original intent was to uh, finish in our uh, Saturday service in this short brief study in Luke in the uh, Christmas Begins story, if you will. Uh, but uh, having continued my study through the book of Luke, I just wanted to share a little bit more with you guys uh, out of Luke chapter 2. And, um, and I know you guys are thinking, hey man, Christmas is behind us and this, that, and another. But uh, what I want to share with you is a post-Christmas message, okay? And uh, so what we did was we, we led up to Christmas uh, through the life of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and even touched into the life of Mary and Joseph briefly. And we kind of led you guys up to the end of chapter 1. And then last Saturday prior to of the birth, the arrival of Jesus, we ended that study, right? And I gave you guys a charge, and I said, hey, go and read for yourself, you and your family, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And because uh, I wanted that to be something personal for you and your family. Well, today, what I want to do uh, is I want to actually pick up on verse 21. This is kind of a post-Christmas message, and, and so it's happening after the birth of Jesus. But we do have some uh, 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 contextual reference for time, because the last time we gathered was last Saturday night, which would be eight days ago. So when we pick up this scripture in verse 21, it is actually eight days from the moment Jesus was born or the day Jesus was born. So we're kind of on a very similar time frame, right? A timetable. This message uh, is eight days after our last message. And so um, uh, we're going to pick up eight days after the birth of Jesus, okay? So instead of me reading all of this scripture and then us walking through it again, we're going to pray, ask for the favor and the blessing of God upon his word, and then we're just going to walk our ways through it, right? And we're going to kind of try to unpack some of this and see if there's something for you and I in this scripture. But even before we get into it, let me say to you that we're going to cross paths with two individuals, one named Simeon and one named Anna. And uh, these were devout people. And these are people who have an experience, a supernatural experience with God, an encounter with God that they find within the context of being at the temple. Right? So sometimes, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the church attendance police, but I will say to you, there are times in our life when we're absent from the gathering of God that we're going to miss something that God may have for us. And so let me encourage you in the year 2024 to resolve in your heart to say, in as much it lies within you, that I will try to be faithful as much as I possibly can to be in a place where God can speak to me amongst God's people. And that's completely free this morning. Amen? So let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, what we want to do this morning, 
We're, we're, we're just simple people, Lord, and we're wanting to navigate this scripture, and we want to understand some things, Father. We want to see you, and we want to see how that's going to impact us, and we want to see uh, post-Christmas how we move forward, Lord, and, and what, what, uh, how does Christmas really affect us? Is determining what we do in response to it. And so, Father, let's open your word this morning in the company of your spirit and rightfully divide it. Speak to me, speak to us this morning through your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 Okay, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Okay, and this is what the scripture says as we start to navigate through this because we're scripture people, right? That's what we want to do. We want to study the scriptures. We don't care what Trent's got to say about this, that. We want to know what does God's word have to say, right? So, so let's, let's open it up and navigate our way through it. And so verse 21, chapter 2, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now let me say this, if you go to Matthew, when Matthew gives this account, what Matthew says is that Joseph is actually the one who names him or calls him Jesus, the name that had been given by the angels. So I just want to add that to that. And so you'll have a, even a more clarifying uh, view of what's actually taking place. But it was on the eighth day, and on the eighth day, it was time to circumcise the child. Now here's a question that most of us understand contextually. Why are they circumcising Jesus on the eighth day? Well, we understand that. Why? Because we've been through the study of Genesis. We've been through the study of Exodus. We understand the covenant of God with the Jewish people. And part of the covenant of God was circumcision upon all males on the eighth day. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 17, it, it, it literally says, Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you, God and Israel. For the generations to come, every male among you who, among you who is eight days old must be circumcised circumcised, circumcised. Now, the question then becomes, why does God establish an eighth-day circumcision covenant with his people? He doesn't give us any answers to this. He establishes these perimeters. This is part of the covenant. But what we know now is what biology, uh, the, the world of medicine, has taught us that gives us a view into the wisdom of God. Now what we should do when we study this scripture, we should be able to step back and say, man, God is awesome, is awesome. I'm going to tell you why. I believe this is established for the eighth day, and some of you will know this if you've done these studies. There are uh, uh, coagulant factors in the body that when a child is born, when I talk about coagulant factors, I'm talking about blood clotting factors in the body. When a child is born, they are at some of the lowest measures that a person will ever experience in their entire life. Meaning they are subject to what we would refer to as uh, hemorrhagic 
disease or free bleeding. That is the reason when a child is born in, in the, the, the medical realm here in the United States, one of the first things that is introduced into that process is a vitamin K shot for the baby. Why is that? It is to amplify those coagulant factors to prevent hemorrhagic disease or free bleeding within the child. Now, what we understand now through studies is that these coagulant factors at birth, though they are extremely low, they become even lower over the first three days. After the third day, this thing swings drastically, even under normal conditions, under normal conditions, where there is rapid acceleration of coagulant factors within the body of a child from the fourth day to the eighth day. By the time the eighth day rolls around, the coagulant factors that are, that are conducive with blood clotting are at some of their all-time highest. As a matter of fact, these coagulant factors actually reduce as we get older. So you are, you are suffering now as an older adult with, more, with a blood that is thinner than, and, and has less coagulant factors than a child at eight days old. So when we look at that and we understand these biological things that are happening, God doesn't have to give us an explanation of why he says on the eighth day. But what we do know is what the psalmist says about how we are created, right? For you are created, for you created my inmost being. This is what the psalmist said of God. He says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So right off the bat, man, from that very simple verse of the eighth day arrival, the circumcision of Jesus, the naming of Jesus, there is so much to, to, to dig out of that scripture and to look at the wonderful creative constitution of God expressed in his very creation. It is awesome. Absolutely awesome. I know what you're thinking. Okay, Trent, we're done with biology. Get to the next verse. I need something spiritual. That is spiritual. You, me. <laughs> it is spiritual. Okay, so let's, let's continue to read. When the time came, get this, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I'm going to give you some time frame. I want you to understand this because we're moving quickly away from Christmas. This actually takes place 40 days after Jesus is born. You say, well, how do you know it takes place 40 days after Jesus was born, Trent? Well, they're keeping with the law of Moses, right? Or the scripture, what does the scripture say? The scripture in Leviticus says what? It said a woman who gives birth to a son is unclean for seven days. And then she has to wait 33 days before she is ceremonially acceptable into the temple. She cannot even touch any sacred thing nor enter into the temple is what the scripture says for 33 days. At the end of that, 40 days combined, 7 and 33, right? At the end of those 40 days, then she's able to come in 
to the temple and she's able to uh, perform these purification rites. So we know that Mary and Joseph being uh, law-honoring, keeping Jews, that they would have walked in lock and step with what the law directed, right? Are you with me? Are you with? 40 days later. And so they enter into the temple. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And the scripture says, and I want you to get this, mom and dad, every dad, every mom, get this. What the scripture says, is, says Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Do you see that? It wasn't just Mary. It wasn't just Joseph. It was a combined effort of father and mother to do what? To take him to the temple and to consecrate, dedicate, commit him to God. We're going into 2024. Let me say this to mom and dad. It is our responsibility, mom and dad, it is our responsibility to take it upon us to do everything we possibly can to protect, to lead, to instruct, and to nurture our children in the fullness of the knowledge of God and the things that please Him. It's inescapable. That's our responsibility. This isn't something that is pawned off on someone else. It's not pawned off on the pastor. It's not pawned off on the Sunday school teacher. It's not pawned off on the school teacher. The, 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 the kindergarten teacher is not pawned off on your neighbor. This is your responsibility, mom and dad. And I would say to every single parent in this sanctuary right now who has to bear fully upon them the responsibility of raising their children in the admonition of the Lord by yourself, I say to you, God will extend grace to cover the absence of the other party who should be equally bearing this weight with you. You will experience, if it's in your heart to do this, an expression of God's grace that will strengthen you to achieve this, to honor Him. You are not set up for failure for the lack of another in your life. Let's continue to read. It says, it says, When the time it came for the purification rites required by the law of the Lord, Moses, Joseph, and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Now all of this is born, all of this is born out of this experience that Israel had had in Egypt. That's what all of this is about. It's about God's deliverance of them out of Egypt, the redeeming of Israel's firstborn when the plagues of the firstborn were dropped upon Egypt. And God spares the firstborn of Israel. Remember this? We studied this. So the, all of this is a reflection and a response to God's goodness, His protection, so there, everyone is called in to bring the firstborn and to consecrate them to the Lord. It's literally a gift. God has given you this, has spared this, has provided this, has protected this, and it's our way giving back to God saying, thank you. 
Your gift is our gift, right? That's what it's saying. That's what it's about. Exodus 13, verse 1 and 2. I know we're going to get into some scripture. Listen. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animals. But then all of a sudden, it shifts in numbers because what God says is, I'm going to make an allowance. And the allowance is this. Instead of everyone's firstborn, I'm going to take the Levites. I'm going to take the Levites as an allowance and a gift of service to Aaron, the high priest, and his descendants. And these Levites will take the place of every other firstborn male, but it will require of you to pay five shekels, a redemption price for that male. So Mary and Joseph entering into the temple, one of the first things they would do would pay five shekels to redeem the life of that boy. You know what five shekels is worth? Some estimate around four dollars. Four dollars. Four dollars to redeem that child. Here's the crazy thing about it. Four dollars to redeem the redeemer. Four dollars to redeem the redeemer. That's not all the scripture says. That's not all what the scripture says. The scripture goes on to say this. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. You know, that's not actually what the scripture says. You realize that, right? That's not the first command. Do you know what that is? It's an allowance being made. You know who it's being made for? The poorest of the poor. It's, it's literally called the offering of the poor. You know what should have been given? A lamb. A lamb. But you know what the scripture says? It says, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves and two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And this way the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So when Luke says that Mary comes in and she comes in with a pair of doves and two young pigeons, what he is saying is she comes in with the inability to make the high offering. An allotment has been made. God has chosen someone. is among the poorest of the poor to be a vessel to carry the God man and you think and we think sometimes that God looks at our success and our assets and our resources as though that somehow affects his, his favor or his affection towards us it's a ridiculous thought Instead, he chooses one of the poorest of the poor. She comes in and she makes this offering. No wonder Paul in 2 Corinthians says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, you may become rich. <laughs> 
Here's the crazy thing about it. When you read the scripture, I'll tell you, it's so sweet. There's so many sweet little things in here. They come in. They, don't, they can't afford a lamb. They come in with the offering of the poor. But what does she possess? She comes into the temple in possession of the most valuable asset this world has ever seen. Not just any lamb. But what John refers to as the Lamb of God. Who not only takes away Mary's sin. But, she, but he takes away the sin of the world. Here she comes, not able to afford a lamb, carrying in her very hands the lamb. Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful image. God's poverty is about to make us rich. And then here's the, the meeting. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. This is happening, man. They're rolling into the temple. The five shekels have been paid. The offerings were there, right? One for the burnt offering, one for the sin offering. It was there. It was happening. And there's this cat, man, in the temple named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was watching for the consolation of Israel, right? You know what the scripture says? You can read it up there with me. The consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him, right? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now here's the double-edged sword. And this is what I want you guys to get going into 2024. My prayer for you is that there's a shift in you from a temporal perspective to an eternal perspective. That you begin in 2024 measuring things on an eternal scale. Because this is what happens with Simeon, who ends up praising God when he sees the child. You know what the child represents in Simeon's life? Death. Death. What does the scripture say here? We don't even read it and think about this. What does the scripture say? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here he is. The child is presented to him. Is presented to him. And the scripture says, and moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms praised God saying and right here in this moment he's holding what represents eternal life and his own mortality and when you're looking at your own mortality and let me say this to young and old alike it is real your own mortality is real and when you're looking at that realness of your own mortality young and old alike and you can praise God understanding that this gift from God will be accompanied by the ending of your own life. And you can muster up a response to God that being one of praise and worship, then you have embraced an eternal perspective then. To the extent that you can lay down your own life and embrace the revelation of the life of Jesus to the extent that praise then wells up from within you in response to your own funeral arrangements. Blessed be God, my life is ended. 
That's the life I want. I want to live in such an eternal frame of mind, James, that the things that exist in this temporal experience of ours doesn't grip me and smother me and squeeze the life out of me. But those things eternal will grip me, will breathe into me life, breathe into me hope, breathe into me assurance. And Simeon, seeing this baby, understands everything it entails. Paul, in writing to the church in Galatians, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the Simeon life he's referring to. That one would measure his own life as something willingly laid down to embrace the life of Christ lived out in us. That the glory of God would be demonstrated in and through us, right? Oh, give me a Simeon spirit. Give me a spirit of Paul, a mindset, right? A shift, paradigm shift. And the scripture says this. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord. Get that? I'm dying. I know I'm dying. Your child is coming. The king is here. And he says to him, in light of his own death, sovereign, Lord, all-knowing, wise, beyond me. That's what he's saying. Beyond my thoughts, O Lord, are you. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. <laughs> for my eyes have for my eyes have seen. Christmas. My eyes have seen your salvation, right? Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Any Jewish people in here? None? Then you're all Gentiles. And this is for you. For a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father, that being Joseph, who if he had left it to Mary to carry out the responsibilities, he would not be marveling with Mary. And had Mary left it up to Joseph to carry out the responsibilities, she would not be marveling with Joseph at these words. Collectively as a unit, being blessed individually and collectively. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Now this is a blessing. It means to make you happy. It's literally what that means. Blessed, happy. I don't know how this makes you happy. Unless you have an eternal mindset. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't want to be blessed like that. I don't want to be blessed like that. You would if you had an eternal perspective, understanding the purpose and 
the plan of God. You would if you've already conceded your life. You would if you've surrendered the purpose and the very essence of who you are. When the thing of God becomes of, the, of utmost importance, even the things that are painful in our life become a blessing. In light of God's goodness, Peggy. Right? And then the scripture says this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. And when it says prophet, it means one who declares God's word. They said in a prophet as in Isaiah it's, or Jeremiah. It's a one who declares God's word. You'll find out why she declares it. She was very old. All of a sudden, Luke decides he wants to get really specific. He didn't want to tell us how old Elizabeth and, and Zechariah was, but he's going to drop her age on us right here. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Seven years marriage. Black widow prophet, I guess. I don't know. Marriage didn't last long. Seven years. And then was a widow until she was 84. Listen to this. Why is she declaring God's word? She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now check this out. Coming up to them at that very moment. What is the very moment they're referencing? Referencing the very moment that Simeon is blessing and prophesying over the child and over Mary. Hence, she has insight to who the child is and who Mary and Joseph is. This wasn't a revelation given to her by God supernaturally. It was a revelation given to her out of the mouth of Simeon who had the Spirit of God upon him. Believe me, it is to your benefit to surround yourself with people who have the Spirit of God resting on them that you might glean whatever revelation God has given them to express into your life regardless of the station they hold at your church. I'm talking about people who hold a station of anointing in their lives. Surround yourself with such People, she knows. She gave thanks to God. This is who she is, man. She's the declarer, a prophet. And what did she do? She does what she does. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She didn't change. She took what she knew, she put it in the cabinet of her heart, and she began to tell what she now knows. And she told everyone about this child that had been revealed to her through the prophecy of Simeon. Now we're going to close. We're going to... She's like, oh, praise God. Right? This is what the scripture says. All this happens right? When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, why is that? Because they're devout. They're blessed. These are people who love God. So they do everything required by the law of the Lord. We don't know how much time plays out here, 
There's a lot of things that Matthew reveals about their moving to Egypt and protection in response to Herod. There's a lot of things happening here that the, the, the Magi end up coming to see Jesus. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Hey, man, those three wise guys, man, they were with the shepherds. I saw them in that Christmas picture. Right? How many of you guys, how many of you guys thought that the Magi showed up on Christmas night? Don't raise your hand because I don't want you to feel embarrassed. That's not the case. But we've all seen those Christmas pictures, right? That's not happening. What we know ultimately after all of those things take place, Mary and Joseph along with the child Jesus return back to Nazareth, right? We know this. So the scripture isn't contradicting itself. Matthew speaks to certain things. Luke speaks to the other things. And this is what the scripture says. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, not the law of Moses. You got that? The law of the Lord. Now this thing is starting to drift out there. It's more, it's greater. They returned to Galilee in their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. It's post-Christmas, right? Angels aren't singing. Star isn't shining. Shepherds aren't gathering. They've all gone home. They've gone back to the shepherds' fields, tending the sheep, man. Life is calling them back home. Things are seeming to be normal again. But when Jesus is introduced into the equation, things will never be normal again. And it's in the home where Jesus is taken that these things take place. Listen to this. He grew and became strong in the home. He was filled with wisdom in the home. And the grace of God was upon him in the home. You say, Trent, what are you trying to say on the last day of 2023? I'm saying to you, these are the things that God is wanting to do for you in 2024. He's wanting not just to invade your life within the confines of this church. He's wanting to invade your life and express his love for you in your life. In the confines of your kitchen, your living room, your bedroom, your garage. He's wanting to come into your school life, into your workplace and he's wanting you to grow up. And he's wanting you to become strong. And he's wanting to fill you with wisdom. And he's wanting to give you grace upon grace upon grace. Post-Christmas. Right? When I was a kid, many years ago, many years ago, we, uh, in our school, in our school, we used to actually have Christmas plays, right? And, and I remember, and, and it wasn't just in our schools. You would also see these out in public all the time. These huge Christmas tree displays, right? Similar to what we see up there, right? And in our school, what they would have 
under the Christmas tree to, to the torture of a young heart of little Trent, they would line that tree with all of these beautifully wrapped presents. You remember that? You remember going into some of these stores in the mall and all of a sudden you see these elegant Christmas trees and you're like, man, I got that Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I want that one, right? And you walk into those malls and you see these elegantly, beautifully designed Christmas trees and they're full, I mean just packed tight with beautifully wrapped gifts. And as a small boy, man, you're thinking, I need to get my little sticky hands on those boxes, right? And you know what, you know, I was that kid, man. I'd shuffle up that. Ricky, you knew what I, man, I had Spider-Man fingers. I ain't outing him. I'm only making my own kill. Let every man confess his own faults. And I had sticky fingers. And I remember, man, going up to these Christmas trees. And I'd slide up there. I was graceful, man. I mean, I was. I, I remember reaching down. I, I wasn't going to grab that little box. Grab that big box. Whew. With the expectation of resistance or the weight of the contents. Grab that big box. That, that thing lies a feather. I want to burn that Christmas tree down. I'll burn this whole school down. That's what I was thinking. Burn it to the ground. Like, what kind of an evil, grinchy concept is this? That they take a kid from a housing project, pour his dirt, seduce him with beautifully wrapped, beautiful, large gifts, only to realize upon gripping of the gift that the contents of the box was completely worthless and empty. Oh, what a crime to the heart of a young child. But oh, sometimes in the church, you know, my brothers and my sisters, oh, I've done this myself. I've settled, I've settled for being beautifully wrapped. And I like the content. I like the valuables. And some of you have come out of 2023 Oh, you're beautifully wrapped. But you like the content. You like the weight of the goods. And in 2024, we can't settle for being beautifully wrapped as children of God. We have to take Christmas and post-Christmas. And we have to allow God to invest in us and pour into us his strength, his wisdom, his grace. Allow God in his goodness to add value to our beautifully wrapped, empty clay vessels, as the scripture says. So I charge you, my brothers, I charge you, my sisters, let this be a year that when the world rips through the beautiful wrapping, our true value will be found as a witness to this world of the goodness and the mercy of God in Jesus. Amen. Stand with me this morning. With our heads bowed, Father, 
we bless your name this morning. We, we say you are good way, way beyond what we're, what we're worthy of. You show your goodness and your mercy in ways, Lord, that we can't even measure. Lord, we look at ourselves in our greatest effort, our wrappings, as your word says, our wrappings, that being our righteousness, is like filthy rags. But no, no matter how beautiful we wrap ourselves, it just is always too short. But oh God, what you're desiring to do in us, that the beautiful wrappings will not even compare through the deposit of your goodness that rests within us as your sons and daughters. May 2024 be such a year that we take upon ourselves an eternal perspective. We begin to see things through the prism of God's wisdom and sovereignty. And we begin to allow you, Father, to produce in us an overflowing prayer of souls type value that a beautifully red box can't even contain. Let it pour out of us as a witness to a world who needs Christmas. <laughs> the real Christmas. So Father, we bless you. We ask you to do this work in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, not just in a place such as this, but speak to us in our homes, where the deep work is done so often, we bless you, Father. We speak so highly of your goodness and your generosity to each of us. We ask you, O oh God, to do your work in 2024. Lord, if our lives are but one day in that year, May that be a day your work is done like it hasn't been done before. That we would be people without regret. That at the end, Lord, we like Simeon can bless your name. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. The very things we ask, we ask in the name of Jesus. And your sons and daughters, in that name, said amen. 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 God bless you.